0: My name is Ainsley Hogarth and my book is called Mother Thing.
1: In the interest of keeping this podcast spoiler free, I won't tell you much about Ainsley Hogarth's newest book, Mother Thing. But what I will share is that it's a feminist horror story and even sort of a love story. It follows protagonist Abby Lamb immediately following the death of her overbearing and maybe even a little bit evil mother-in-law, Laura. Abby feels like she must act to prevent her depression-prone husband from following in his mother's path, but her methods of protection are suspect at best. I recently spoke with Ainsley Hogarth about the multiple perspectives of motherhood, the efforts women make to protect their families, and why the horror genre shouldn't be overlooked. I'm Beth Coley. this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. Okay, so we are doing our best to keep this interview spoiler-free, but can okay. you give our listeners a, you know, a look at the book? How, how do you classify it, and how, how would you describe it at a cocktail party?
0: Oh, geez. At a cocktail party. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's classified technically as a horror novel, technically, but I, when I was writing it, sort of saw it as a love story, <laughs> which is funny that it then became a horror novel. Yeah, it's a love story first in my mind, and then it's a sort of horror comedy.
1: Can you give us a kind of a, a description of the book? You know, who are who are the players and, and what are we looking at when we start reading this?
0: So it's a book about a woman named Abby who is being haunted by the ghost of her mother-in-law. Yeah, that would be the sort of cocktail party. If I could only speak to someone for 10 seconds, that would be the <laughs> cocktail party. Uh, weird cocktail party, but... <laughs> Yeah, so it's about a woman named Abby who's haunted by the ghost of her mother-in-law. And she's worked very hard to have a normal life after an abnormal childhood. So she's found the perfect husband and she is going to start trying to have a baby soon. And uh, yeah, and then her mother-in-law commits suicide and comes back and tries to drag her son away with her. Um, So Abby has to save, save him.
1: So when the book opens... Abby's mother-in-law, Laura, she has already passed. She's already committed suicide. But she, you know, she plays such a tremendous role in the book. And Abby describes her relationship with Laura as, quote, the private alarm of losing track of a spider on your ceiling. That was what it felt like to be in a room with her. So talk to me about their relationship. So
0: Abby is always looking for a mom. That's her sort of motivation all the time. Sort of anybody that she encounters she kind of tries to turn into a mother in in a way. And it doesn't really matter what or who (laughs) that person is. It just is just her natural tendency to look for that in everyone. Um, So she really wanted that with Laura, but Laura is prickly and she's, you know, a single mother who raised her son all by herself and she doesn't really think anybody's good enough for him. And so she just had made it really difficult for Abby. And Abby is, I would say, I mean, oddly, I don't, maybe you would disagree. I I think Abby's a positive person. So she really kept trying till the end. But yeah, so that sort of imbalance Abby trying really hard to create that relationship with Laura and Laura just would never, ever give it to her.
1: You know, although Abby and Laura and Abby and her own mother, they, you know, they all didn't get along as Abby had hoped, you know, maybe because of it, she has that fixation on motherhood. You hinted at this just a little bit, but she turns to inanimate objects to comfort her as a mother would. And this is what the mother thing is a reference to. Can you talk to us a little bit about the the mother thing? Because, you know, she's also desperate to become a mother herself.
0: Yeah. Yes. So I had read about this study. It's a very well-known study. I'm sure you've heard about it, uh, about the, no, the scientists. So sure. <laughs> who... OK, <laughs> I mean, I maybe I don't know. I, maybe I just think if I know something, it must be well-known. <laughs> um So yeah, so it's a study about these scientists who, it's really sad, bear with me, it's very sad, who took these baby monkeys away from their mothers and they replaced their mothers with like rolled up socks on like a wire. um, Like they basically made a little sock mom for them. And they found that the baby monkeys went to the sock mothers for comfort um, and like turned those sock monkeys into moms and they got what they needed from the sock monkey mom. (laughs) And it's just this, it just made me think a lot about the fact that like babies make their own moms as much as you are your baby's mother, if that makes sense. Like they, they really have a hand in turning you into a mother more so than just sort of you making them. And I just thought that that was really interesting and, and sad, really sad that that instinct is there to have a mother, whether the mother is there or not. Um, And that's kind of what the Mother Thing title comes from, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: it absolutely does. And as you were were talking, I was thinking, I had not thought about, you know, the sock monkey. I will never look at sock monkeys the same way again. Oh, yeah. Oh, my (laughs) God, actually. That's right.
0: Because I don't think I've actually articulated it out loud, but you're right.
1: That's (laughs) twisted. I hope that's not where that comes from. I know. (laughs) Okay, so... Something you talked about, you know, still going on what you said about how Abby is looking for a mother wherever she can, because it's also interesting that she chooses a career in elder care, and it's a very motherly role, but the generational roles have been reversed, you know, with the younger taking care of the elder. So Abby is looking for a mother, but she also talks about Mrs. Bondi as being her baby. So talk to me about how this is kind of Abby's way of filling this motherly void herself.
0: So yeah, Abby's, Abby, I guess, doesn't really understand what either of those sort of roles should be. The thing about Abby, the thing that was kind of like fundamental to creating her character is she just tragically misunderstands like just about everything. Like a big thing with Abby when I was writing her is that, for example, capitalist messaging just doesn't work on her. Like she just, she doesn't process it properly. So that's why she's always sort of like, she talks about sort of yogurt People and, and things like that. Like she just doesn't really get things. So, in that particular case, Abby just does ha- she has a lot of love to give, which is what would draw her to that type of job. And yeah, she just doesn't know exactly, she has no boundaries. She doesn't really know how to stop caring for someone, the proper ways to care for people. So, yeah, Mrs. Bondi sort of becomes this uh, thing that she can sort of project whatever she needs and whatever mental state she's in at any given moment, Mrs. Bondi can be that for
1: her. Talk to me about the recipes Abby uses to show love. She she relies heavily on a cookbook titled Secrets with a Famous Chef. She calls it The Book, capital T, capital B. From it, she makes things like jellied salmon. And she even (laughs) thinks with Secrets of a Famous Chef, I can save you or like make meatballs, save your family and And she says that Laura and Ralph, quote, ate a lot of peanut butter and a lot of takeout because Laura didn't care about serving good foods to save your family. So Mm -hmm. talk to me about the book. (laughs) The book.
0: Yeah, I guess that's sort of like, I feel like there are a lot of guides for women and mothers, like how to, there's just so many guides, (laughs) so many like lists, like this is how you do XYZ. And the stakes are always really high, even though they're sort of not your responsibility. Like I, I find often that mothers, women are sort of in a weird way judged by the bodies of their families. Like if they're the person sort of providing the food, buying the food, they're sort of judged by these weird metrics that really shouldn't be sort of their responsibility. So yeah, so the, the, the book is just kind of like Abby's sort of chosen her guide and she's going to follow it to the letter. And, and yeah, and she sees it as something that's going to help her save her family, or, or at the very least, in the beginning, it's going to help her get to the, the family that she wants. And then when things go awry, it's going to save the family she's got left sort of thing.
1: So I do want to go back to talk about mental health because Laura, who committed suicide, suffered from depression. Her son, Ralph, suffers from depression. But then, you know, talk to me about Abby as a reliable narrator or unreliable narrator, because the phrase you can have us both comes up in different and surprising sections of the book. And as I was reading, I thought to myself, "Okay, what's up with these interstitial scenes? But then, Mm -hmm. you know, when Abby's mental health comes into question for the reader, those scenes did seem a little like remove one's real self from the situation and observe And inner self having a conversation or taking action, you know, like one suffering from schizophrenia would do. It's funny.
0: I've only had a couple interviews so far. One was like written and then I actually just had one this morning with like a Canadian uh, like local radio station. And it's funny because I don't think Abby has anything wrong with her. Like I don't see Abby as having her mental state is sort of the product of not just her own upbringing, but also the world and the pressures that it puts on women. Like I don't necessarily see Abby as like pathological in any way. And the reason I mentioned the other interviews is because the question has come up about Abby's mental health and I'm just like, geez, should I keep mentioning that I don't <laughs> think Abby's crazy? Because that maybe reflects badly on me. I, but anyway, I don't, I don't see her as being pathological in, in any way more so. Um, just the way that the world kind of makes women crazy. <laughs> and then on top of that, she has her
1: difficult upbringing. Mother Thing is your third novel, but your first adult novel. But the horror genre isn't new for you. How does writing adult horror compare to writing YA horror?
0: Well, this is a funny question because actually my first two novels, though they came out as YA, I never actually wrote them as YA. When those books came out, it was like YA was like very hot. Yeah, sure. Whatever is going to get my book published, let's just do that. So yeah, so then they came out, but then um, when they came out, the uh, School Library Journal, all of the sort of like gatekeepers for that world were like, this is not YA. I can't put this in my library. I can't put this in my school. Yeah, so they are categorized as YA, but they're sort of, for me, basically from my experience of writing the two different kinds, there was no difference because I didn't really write them as YA.
1: And I wonder if people who have read them as YA novels, knowing now that they weren't intended so, I wonder if going back and reading them again would offer different insight to a reader. Do you recommend that everybody go back?
0: <laughs> you know what? That's a fine idea. <laughs> you should. I mean, yeah, because I'm sure also, I mean, in as much as there were people who enjoy YA who read them and were like, whoa, this is way too much. I'm sure there were plenty of people, which this didn't occur to me back when they were published, but there, I'm sure there were plenty of people who were like, well, I don't that's not going to be scary because it's YA. At the time I didn't think of that because I wouldn't have thought that. But then yeah, I'm sure that there are plenty of people who are
1: like, well, that can't be scary. It's for kids. <laughs> yeah, this one was scary for me. So <laughs> was it? <laughs> well done. <laughs> Is there anything that you want to talk about that Ivan asked? No,
0: not really. I mean, one thing that I guess I I would like sort of known about the book is that the horror really does come from just the unrecognized emotional labor like that burden is really awful and and that is a burden that falls predominantly on women so like it is really it is really a book about that like that is what the horror is in the book just because I know that there are a lot of for I mean I guess if it was scary for you but I know a lot of people a lot of readers will maybe like shy away from horror but it, it is I would say more so, in, in my opinion, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, it is more so about that than it being sort of a traditional horror novel.
1: What are you working on next? So
0: right now I'm working on it. So I have another book that will be coming out either at the very end of next year or the beginning of 2024. And it's sort of a mystery more so. It's actually not really horror. So it won't scare you. <laughs> <This> <laughs> much, you should be safe. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's about a woman who... Um, she is a stay-at-home mom. She sort of dropped off in her career. She never really had a career, but she sort of dropped off in in work to take care of her babies. And she starts to have a lot of anxiety about uh, if anything should happen to her husband, who's the breadwinner. Like what she would do, how she would take care of herself and her baby. She's having really bad anxiety about it. So she decides to go to the part of town um, where sex workers work and watch them and see if maybe she could do this like as like sort of a last resort if she ever possibly had to like could I do this kind of thing so she's watching them and it's making her feel better and then something happens something a mystery occurs and that's sort of what it's about
1: <laughs> you know as i'm talking to you and i'm i'm visiting with you and admitting that i do not often read horror you know, I've moderated panels before of authors who write horror books, and and they're some of my favorite people. And I don't tend to gravitate toward it. just I don't tend to just say, oh, i'm I'm going to go find another horror book to read. Do you think there's something about the genre that's misunderstood by, you know, people like me? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I wonder. I mean, one thing that I'll say is that, like, I guess it's probably the difference between when I so when I read or watch horror, I guess I, I really enjoy that feeling of, of, of being scared. And then when everything's fine, I do feel better. Like it's, it's odd, like I, I guess a thing that's probably not understood by people who don't enjoy horror is that it makes you feel good, <laughs> like in a weird way. Like you experience those feelings of like, oh God, I'm very scared, you're anxious. And, and then when everything's fine, it does, it does kind of feel good. But I feel like probably for people who don't enjoy horror, Uh, you experience the anxiety and you're like, well, that was awful. Why would I ever do that again? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know. There's something cathartic about it. And I guess another thing is that there is a lot of really great feminist horror. Like horror is, uh, I think, historically, you know, slasher movies, like women with huge boobs running away from somebody who's going to kill them sort of thing. That is that's there. But there is a lot of really great feminist horror, especially now, that's happening a lot like Midsummer is a really great great movie that Ari film and and yeah there's a lot like that so yeah there's a there's a lot of space in moving forward too like I feel like there's a lot of space in horror for more interesting feminist stories stories from women even just things like um body horror I feel like only women should honestly be able to write body horror like that's just that that's just the way I feel about it like I feel like women go through body horror all the time yeah I think that it's uh especially like i said moving forward going to be a space with a lot more women in it
1: there's something you know psychologically appealing and i have to say that the horror books that i've read are the ones that still are in my mind i can still yeah. i can still see them so vividly so That's it's very, very interesting <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah they do they they really have that ability to like get in get in your head and and you de- you certainly never forget at least i pretty much never forget a horror movie like there have been times where i was like I think twice I sat down and didn't realize I had watched like The King's Speech or something. But like (laughs) that's not going to happen to you with like Hereditary. (laughs) You're going to be like, oh, have I seen this one? Where (laughs) I won't give away a spoiler. I was about to. I won't. But yeah.
1: Well, the book is Mother Thing. Ainsley Hogarth, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was very fun.
1: That was Ainsley Hogarth, author of the book Mother Thing, which was published by Vintage. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editor is Luann Stevens. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.